Okay, Bogatov, today's shop is Yudchet. We start with the Mishnah. We are done for the moment between Midot and Tamid discussions, a little less structural and more actions. Um, and we are moving to now the um, Kohen Gadol leading into Yom Kippur. So before we said that during the whole week he was doing the regular Abu Dot. And that's got us into discussions of exactly the order of the Neirot and the Ketoet. Now we are getting really to Erev Yom, Yom Kippur. And special things done because it's about to be Yom Kippur. So let's take a look. Mishnah on Yochet. Moshelo Zekenim Yizikne Beistin. So was given over to him elders from the elders of Beitin. Um, so who gave them over? But it means like the next stage in the process were that he now was under the auspices of some elders of Beitin and they were, hand, they were handling him from here on. Um, Beitin. Now again, as we've mentioned before, it came up a lot in Shkalim, right? So the Gemara's assumption that like everything that went on ultimately, you know, even in the Beit HaMikdash, even what the Kohanim were doing and even the leadership of the Kohanim ultimately was under the auspices of Beitin. I mean, I sort of never discusses like the Kohen Gadot you know, in his relationship. I mean, he really is always... I mean, here he is the Kohen Gadol, you know, but he's more being, like, trained in terms of, like, you know, him exercising his power um, and how that relates to Beitin. And I don't know of anything that really sort of, you know, sort of positions those two. But, Brad, you know, because if you think about it, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, the major sort of locations of power, this is really what Horios talks about, is Beitin, right? The court system, or if you would, the rabbinic system, you know, the Kohen Gadol, and the king, the political system. So, um, so the Gemara assumes that pretty much anything that took place in the Beit Hamikdash, you know, was under the auspices of Beitim. Um, so that's what we have here in our in our Mishnah. Um, so let's take a look. Rosal Basic makes the point that um, you know, and uh, it was sort of a little implicit in what I was saying, but that Beitim obviously is not just in terms of adjudication and not even just in terms of like um, you know interpreting of the law of the Torah but it is also Beitin often functions as a representative for Klai Yisrael like when the elders of Beitin go out right the Yatsuzi Knei Recha similar thing elders of Beitin and they go out for the Egla Rufa what they are doing there is they are sort of representing the people so Salvatic uh, you know makes that point in a number of places and this being one of them but the idea here is that Beitin um, as the as the representatives of the people, you know, and therefore what the Kohen Gadol is going to do on Yom Kippur ultimately is for the sake of and on behalf of um, the people. But, you know, you could say, and we'll see in a minute, that it's also, you know, Beitin, again, not as the adjudicating body, but as representatives of Torah and Torah authority. And those are different things. Right? When Beitin goes out to the Egla Rufa, they're not representing Torah authority as much as they are representing the people. So it's worth thinking about the sort of the, the, the symbolic role, um, you know, and the representative role that Beitin is playing. There'll be other questions. Two short questions. One is on the Mishnah, it means Masru Oto. No, meaning the Masru is the anonymous, um, meaning. It was given over to him, um, elders from Ziknei Beitim. So, who gave it over is anonymous. They. <laughs> they. The object. Kenim is the direct object and not the subject of the verb. The is the object of the verb. Okay. The subject is not stated. Okay. Okay. Right. And this idea of representative of the people, Kal Yisrael, is that related in some way? Rav Cook had this uh, religious Zionist idea that that the government of the state of Israel had the status of Malchus, of Melech, it's uh, it's, 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 Yeah, it's related, it's related. Okay. The the Hayom, and they read into in front of him the order of the day. Now the phrase Korim Lefanav, and we'll see the next phrase, suggests it's not like they read from a manual and a how-to and a Vodas Yom Kippurim for dummies, but that they, <laughs> they just took out the Torah. The word Korim suggests they read the Psukim of the Torah, which is interesting, because of course it's not all explicit listed in the Psukim of the Torah and there are things that maybe are not even so much like the Pshat of the Psukim here and there so it's interesting this idea that they which it seems to be the Pshat is that they read the, the Seder Ayom from the Torah the Omrimlo and they would say to him Ishi Kohen Gadol Mr. Kohen Gadol Karal Tapasicha read on your own read the Psukim in the Torah Shema Shachachta maybe you forgot how it was done O Shema Lola Marita maybe you never learned so obviously that reflects a pretty level, significant level of ignorance that the Gemara will get to. So that's what they would do. 
Erev Yom Kippurim Shacharit. Now, again, so it sounds like this first line was before Erev Yom Kippur. But again, it's not clear. It does, and also, you don't get the sense it was every day of the seven days. Um, so, it's not exactly clear when that reading happened. But anyway, now we are in Erev Yom Kippur proper. Erev Yom Kippurim Shacharit. Ma'amidim Osar B'Shar Mizrach. They, again, the anonymous they. You know, the better way to stand it would be he was made to stand by the eastern gate so by the Sharni Knur, the opening to the Azarab, and they would march in front of him, um, um, you know, cows, um, or excuse me, oxen, rams, and sheep. So he should recognize them and be familiar in how to do the Avodah. Now the Marsha points out that this does not mean, like well, the Gemara is going to comment on the fact that, you know, he might have been a little bit of an ignoramus when the Kuhuna, when the Kohen Gadol role was bought and sold. But nevertheless, it's not like he never saw a cow before in his life, right? I mean, these were more of a rural society regardless. Not like, I mean, even I know the difference between a cow and a ram and a sheep. So it wasn't that he was telling him, look, this is a cow, it's, you know. But what it, it was doing him was basically what the Marsha says. I sort of was speculating this and then I checked, checked and the Marsha says the same thing. He says that they were doing a role play. They actually were not just saying, this is a cow. They were saying, this is a cow. Now walk over to it. Now, now, now you'll pretend you're doing the shrita. Okay, now walk over to the ram and take this and take this over there and pretend you're doing this. And then take this and do that. And if you actually not just read it intellectually, but act it out and act it out with some of the real animals, you know, then it just becomes more like intuitive. You don't have to say, what's next now? Is it the cow? Is it the goat? Is it the sheep? Right? You've done the role play with the actual animals and you spend... So again, I don't know why they only do this Arab Yom Kippur. If there would be anything to be doing the week leading up. You would think you would want to do this every single day of the week leading up. So by the time it gets to be Yom Kippur, it's second nature. Um, but that's what they would do. Um, there are those. I don't know if I really see this so much, but there is a, 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 there's a couple of modern interpretations, I'm trying to remember who said it, that want to see that this is also a little bit of a reenactment of Ma'aseb Reshit. You know, that the Adam is in the garden and go, and the animals are brought before him and he names the animals. That doesn't say here he named the animals, you know, so it's, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch, but you know, when we do say the Avodah in um, An Yom Kippur itself, we start with Masei Breshit. I don't know if people know, right? We say, God created the world. That's the beginning of the Avodah. Right? And then you talk about, you know, Adam and, the, and Noah and the flood and, you know, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov and then, you know, and then you have Levi and the Kohanim and then, and then Aaron and Kohen and then you get to the Avodah, right? So it does start with the whole story of, you know, of the creation story. So, um, it's, so anyway, some want to make that connection. All seven days, they would not withhold from him um, food and drink. He could eat and drink whatever he wants. Um, as it was getting dark, meaning as it was turning, um, you know, um, so right there, when everybody else is having their, you know, and eating a good amount to prepare themselves for the uh, fast that's coming up, so, I mean, it's, meaning it's almost about to be Yom Kippur, he would actually eat a smaller amount. He would not eat a lot right before nightfall of Yom Kippur because he did not want him to fall asleep. He would have to be up the whole night of Yom Kippur leading into, and we'll see because of this concern that were he to fall asleep, he would have a seminal emission and he would become Tamei, and that would be a, obviously a problem and you'd have to get the backup guy. So it would actually we'd be doing the Avodah the next day on no sleep the night before. Alright, so let's take a look at the Gemara. Now, um, so the Gemara says the following. Um, to say that maybe you forgot how to do the avoda, that I understand. That's a technical translation of Lechai. Ella, Shemalo Lamad, I can understand that he forgot, but he never learned it. He never read the parts of Achrei Mos. So, when would you ever have a coin Gadol who had never learned the avoda? Vatanya, um, we turned, we taught in the Brisa. The Kohen Gadol the Kohen who is greater from his brethren, which is a way of referring to the Kohen Gadol, right? Gadol, there is the word. Sheyehei, so the phrase Hagadol Meachav is read to say the following. Sheyehei Gadol Meachav, that if you're appointing a Kohen Gadol, you have to pick one that is greater than the alternatives, greater than the other Kohanim. In what way greater? The Koach. So that's quite fascinating. Physical strength. 
right? As a sort of, as a, you know, as a way of demonstrating authority and power. I mean, you could try to say technically if you're strong, you can schlep big pieces of animals up the Nisbeach, but I think more this is talking about like the impression that we have of leadership and authority and so on. You know, and somebody is tall, I mean, people all know this, right? That people that are tall are more, you know, the, the presidents of, the CEOs of major corporations, uh, you know, tend to be much taller than your average person and, you know, these sort of types of physical characteristics, although they've obviously shown that there's no actual correlation, <laughs> as if that were a chiddish, between any of these things and actual leadership ability, nevertheless, you know, these types of things are the ways that impress people with a sense of authority and of leadership, so that he's greater in physical strength, benoy, in appearance, you know, beauty and in appearance, good-looking, tall, strong, okay, and the chachma, wisdom, okay, actually is more intelligent, and uba'osher, and wealth, right? So all of those things are things that embody that sense of greatness and authority, at least, you know, at least in the eyes of people. How do you know that if he does not have um, and, um, wealth, you know, obviously they can't do these other things for him, but the things that they can give him is money. So how do you know if you found the right Kohen Gadol and the only problem is, is that he's not wealthy, that you basically have to get donations from the other Kohanim and make him wealthy? You can make him great from his brothers. So if they can help, if you found the right candidate and the only thing that he's missing is something that the other Kohanim can help out with, then you get those contributions from the other Kohanim. So the relevance for us is that how could you suggest that here's the Kohen Gadol is supposed to be Gadol B'chachma and never learn the Avoda of Yom Kippur. Especially if my read is correct that the Korin Lefanav means you read it from the Sukim. So it's one thing to say, you know, you don't know the details of it, but you don't, you've never read the Sukim. Now I have to tell you, I don't understand why the Gemara is okay with Shachachta, right? So I don't understand, where were you in Shul last year? What does that mean? I mean, if you really are Gadol B'chachma, then how do you get a scenario of Shachachta? What, you forgot what's written in Achrei Mot? But anyway, maybe, you know, maybe he's getting on in years. You know, his memory is not what it used to be. Who knows? Um, the other question I want to know is, are we assuming it's his first year doing the service? Because if, if, it's, you know, if it's not his first year, then again, you don't have, how do you have Shachachta? Didn't you just do this last year? So, again, you could say, if he's really a little bit of adult and he doesn't spend a year doing a vote in the base of Mikdash, or, you know, or maybe his memory isn't what it used to be, it's possible. It's Shachachta. But how, did, how was it that, lo, that he never learned? He never learned the Sukim, he never learned the Avodah. I know. So that's what the Gemara is leading up to. I know. It's leading up to that answer. So it says... In the base of Mikdash Rishon, we had Karnim Gedolim like we would have liked them. You know, and they were Gadol, B'chachma, B'osher, B'kavo, the whole thing. And therefore, there was never a concern that they didn't learn it or that they had forgotten it. By Yitzhani, it's possible you have a real ignoramus and it's really possible that he never learned it or that if he learned it, he learned it once and he forgot it. The Amar Avasi, because Avasi says, Tarkava de Dinri, like a basket full of dinari, of gold coins, Ailele Marta Bas Baisos, Marta the daughter of Baisos, it's quite interesting. If people remember, Baisos Benzonim was a very wealthy person, right? He had a whole uh, bakery factory going on. He asked the famous question about making matzos with cookie cutters and making shake. I don't know if people remember that. Anyway, Baisos was quite wealthy. His name comes up in place in the Mars. So here is his daughter. Presumably she inherited some of the estates, so she's wealthy as well. So a basket full of gold coins, this Marta Bas Baisos contributed Liyanai Malka to the King Yanai for making Yoshua ben Gamla the Kohen Gadol. Why was she so interested in him being the Kohen Gadol? So Rashi says, she was married to him. She was a widow and she had married him and she was a wealthy widow. Oh, so not she was a, well, that's a good point. So not a widow. I misstated it. That's an excellent point. <laughs> so that's a good point. I, you're right. How could a widow, how could a Kohen Gadol be married to a widow? Again, you know, would they have uh, gloss over that if you give them the big enough contribution? You know, <laughs> uh, what was that joke about? It was one of those rabbi jokes and about buying. You know, I forget. Anyway, um, oh, the guy that wants to be a kohen and he's willing to make this huge donation to the show, and you know, and fine, I'll write a million dollar check to your building fund. Okay, okay, I'll make you a kohen. But why is it so important? Look. If my fa- grandfather was a coin, if my father was a coin, I want to be a coin too. Anyway, fine. Um, so, but that's.
that's an excellent question. You're right. That, I, that didn't stop me. But, I, but, but that's an excellent point. What's Rashi doing saying that she was an almana? I mean, I don't know why, it's, why that's even... Why he, what motivated him to assert that. There's nothing in the story that says Wait, she was an almana. A regular, regular co-agent... Can be married. So she, they got married before well, he was... That's right. That's what Rashi... Before he was... Yes, but then still, he, he, once you become a Kohen Gadol, he's not allowed to stay married to his wife okay, if she's an so almana. In other words, okay. she didn't know that. She, maybe, but presumably, no, but, but the fascinating thing is, look, if the government, if the gov, if it's a boss position, it raises an interesting question. Could you buy the position and would the other Kohanim tolerate, they might not have a choice, you know, ultimately with what the, you know, what the Roman government says goes, but, you know, would they have sometimes to tolerate somebody that actually would be, he's not Patsula Avoda, but actually would be violating laws of the Kuhuna. You know, that's an excellent, you know, being married to a woman he's not allowed does not invalidate him. Although that's an interesting question, the v'chiper ba'ado v'ad beito. Would you be able to say it's yotze that category if beito was beito ha'asuralo? Anyway, it's very and very interesting point that I didn't think about in terms of that Rashi Shkoyach. Um So that's what he did. Tosos points out this wasn't the normal Yanai Hamelach because based on other Gemaras, Yanai Hamelach was a Kohen Gadol, and he obviously would not have sold it to anybody else. So anyway, Tosos claims this was a different Yanai Hamelach. Yes. So regular Kohen is very almost. Yes, regular Kohen can. But, then, so he, but the rest of married to an Almana, then he becomes Well, he would. He'd be in violation. Um, now, it is true that, it's actually a very interesting question. The Rambam says, as opposed to Raivid, all the Yisrael Arayot are about Lotikrivu Legalot Erva. You know, it's about the act of sex. By the Kohanim and the people that the Kohanim are asked to marry, it says, you know, Almanagusha Lo Yikach. Right, so it's an, so the Rambam understands. So the Rambam understands the Isser is still is still sex, um, but the Rambam understands that the Isser is only um, is only the act of marriage. I'm trying to remember if he says it's sex in the context of marriage as opposed to extra, you know, if they're not married, or if he says the Isser is the act of marriage. The Nafkamina would be would, would be this case. Would be let's say you're already married. If the only Isser is the act of marriage. That's an interesting question. According to, would, would that be, what would be the story? Hold on, let me see quickly if I can find you the answer to that. Oh, all of a sudden, that's a very interesting conversation. Um, okay, hold on. Um, so he actually says it's not just sex it's sex in marriage but he says it's two acts so, yeah, oh, one minute. Aval, Kohen Gadol, Shabaal Almana, Loke Achat, Afapis, Shalokidash, Kidesh. He's even though he didn't marry her. Shanemar, Loi Chalel, Kibin Shabala, Chalap, Hasbala Kuhuna. Okay. Aval, Zonav, Chalap, Gusha, Rehim, Chulelvo, Medias, Rikach, Loke, Gonel, Vado, Bilat, Almana, Vada. So even the Rambam, who says that you don't get Ma'akus without it being in the context of marriage, or maybe without the act of marriage, says Kohen Gadol is di- with Amana is different. So there goes that answer. So <laughs> maybe if uh, what then you don't treat her as an Almanaf because we, she all, because you, that previous status gets overridden by the crone. Yeah. It's a fascinating question. I have to explore that more, but it's a really good question. Look, it's quite possible, like I said, it's quite possible if you pay enough money, you know. They allow, again, it does not, it does not possible him as a kuna in the avoda. So, okay, he's transgressing. Believe me, if this was a sold office, I can bet you that they were doing other transgressions as well. <laughs> Uh, he could marry an Amana Amana Avakon Gadol yeah but Rashi doesn't say that no. alright alright excellent point okay Erev Yom Kippur so that's the case about Shachachta by the way this difference between Bayit Mishan and Bayit Sheni I should say um, there's Yerushalmi the Yerushalmi says 
Why are you worried that he's going to be Roa Terry, right, to have a seminal mission at night? We teach that one of the, um, you know, one of the Nisim of the uh, Beit HaMikdash was that the Kohen Gadol, like, never thought, you know, never had a seminal mission. So there are two answers. One answer is basically ain't some chinala ace answer, okay? And the, you know you do what you can and humanly to make it happen. And the other answer is bias rishon bias shemi that those that nace only happen in bias rishon. So but again that idea that there was this you know yirida and we have to be more on our toes, okay? So they had him read the uh, the avodah. Um, either he never learned it or he forgot it. Again, it's interesting. It sounds like reading from the psukim <coughs> as opposed to reading from some book that actually gives you the step by step. Okay, and now we're going to talk about the walking the animal, the parading of the animals. Erev Yom Kippurim Shacharit, Tana. We turn to the Brayta. Alpha Sirim. They would also walk before the goats. The time of Didan, my time of Lotana Sirim. Why does our Mishnah not mention the goats? So Kivan the Alchit Kaasu. Since they are coming for the sin, right? The goats. One is the goat that gets pushed over the cliff, and the other is the one that's you know that they do the blood like they do the blood of the coin gadol's um, ox. So therefore, the sin of Klal Yisrael chal shadate. He would become like he would become weak. He would become he would, he would despair. Go you know thinking about all the sins of the people that are riding on his shoulders. So the Gemara says, Yihaki, if we don't want to do goats because it would despair and make him think of the sins, Parnami. What do you mean his 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 ox? That's coming for a sin. So the Gemara says, no. Par, the ox, even the alav, the al-achav ha-kohanim it's coming for him and his fellow kohanim. So, the kohanim i'ika inish, the ispe nilsa, if there is amongst his fellow kohanim, people that are, you know, sinners, so has a thing, meaning has like sins that they're not repenting for, um, bad actions, Maybe Yadalei, he's aware of it, you know, because it's all within the family. Umahadalei b'tshuva, and he actually will have a whole conversation with him, bring him into his office on Erev Yom Kippur and tell him he has to do tshuva. The Hulu Yisrael, lo yada, but in terms of the larger Jewish people, who does he know who the sinners are? So he has more of a sense of despondency when he thinks about being the chapter for the sins of Christ. And of course, it's a little funny because the Kohanim, it's not like he's saying his immediate family. It's not like even saying his hundred closest relatives. It's talking about all the Kohanim. You know, again, maybe if the Kohen Gadol was always in the Beit HaMikdash, you know, and always serving there, he would get to know the Kohanim, you know, because he's always there. He gets to see all of the rotations. Even so, though, you really only see you know any particular Kohen like four times a year because they only come to the base Mikdash twice a year it's a 24 sort of group rotation and even that week that they're there you know, any particular Kohen only serves one day of the week and on Shabbos so how much do you really get to know all of the Kohanim anyway that's the Gemara's answer that at least he feels that more it's not like it's out of his control yes I have to atone for them again maybe you could even say it a little bit more hypothetically yes I have to atone for them but at least I know that if I would find somebody that wasn't doing Cuba, I'd be able to have influence on them I'd be able to find out about it if you, if you feel more in control you know if you, know, you have a greater sense of confidence about what's going on whereas by the rest of Kla Yisrael you know he couldn't he, he had absolutely no control over that so Amar Ravina says Ravina that's what people say if your nephew is a um, is basically like a uh, like a tax collector um, you know an officer of the king um, and if he appears in front um, if he if he if, um, if, if he if he appears before you in the marketplace, Kamelo Sachlif, don't walk in front of him. Because, meaning, if your nephew works for the IRS, then you better be very careful about your taxes. Meaning, they know all, they know how much money you've got, your family, they know all your tricks, they know what you're up to, so you don't want to mess with a member of your family that has some authority. Alright, so that's the, um, so, um, so that's the answer about that. So now I have to tell you, if we're doing actually like role play, it really is a big deal not to do the goats. I mean, half of the whole focus is with the goats. First you shak the cow, then you shak the goat, then you send the goat over the cliff, and da 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 and you do the whole drawing of the lots. It seems a little bit crazy to try to do the role play without the goats, right? Uh, so it's quite fascinating, this answer, that they didn't do the goats because it would make him feel despairing when he thought about the sins of Klal Yisrael, um, that he, that was the sins that he had no sort of control over. The other interesting thing, which we'll get to in the eighth parrot, is how much is the tshuva people a necessary component of the kapara when you have the korbanot? 
meaning our focus without the korbanot is on tshuva. But when there were korbanot, whether tshuva was really necessary or not to achieve kapara, is a, it's a very important discussion that comes up later. And not everybody thinks that tshuva was necessary when there was the presence of the korbanot. So again, this idea of introducing these concerns about he's anxious <coughs> about their sins and he won't be able to make them do tshuva and all these types of things, it's quite a fascinating way of sort of framing his you know, you know the, the 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 sense of his of his effectiveness and what it means to be bringing the korbanot. Okay, but that's the answer about why it does not mention the goats. Now we get to this concern about him after we having seven seminal emission. The whole seven days they would not withhold from him food, but uh, they would not let him eat right before nightfall because they wanted him to stay up the whole night. So the says like this: Tiny we turn in the brisa. Rabbi Yehuda ben Nekusa Amar makil nosos flato to beitzim today lemach miso that you basically give him flour products and eggs so you give him like cakes I guess anyway that will help uh, make him um, you know make him um, uh, go uh, what's the word it's a diuretic essentially and that'll cleanse him of food so again he won't be um, you know um, he won't have uh, he won't have food in his stomach I mean again it's a little bit crazy that this is what we're doing before Yom Kippur is where is we're making him uh, you know is, is we're limiting his food intake and, and, and doing a pur what's it called a purgative a purgative is that what it's called when you take what to get no to get the stuff out of your stomach a laxative anyway so Rashi says the concern here is so he wouldn't have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the avoda so you get it all out beforehand so Amrulo, they said to him, No, that's worse, because those are the types of foods that lead to heat, meaning heat meaning that lead to sexual thoughts and that will lead to, or the body just physiologically responding to them and will lead to seminal emission. Tanya, we turn to Brisa, You don't feed him on Erev Yom Kippur, Avi, it's an acronym, we'll see what it means in a minute. The army lay low avadi. The yeshomim aflo yayin lavan, even not white wine. So what are these things? Lo avi, lo esrog, no esrogs. The lo beitzim, no eggs. Lo yayin yashan, and old wine. Presumably these are things, citrus fruits, let's say, and eggs and wine. These are things that the man understood would lead to seminal emission. The army lay low avadi. So that's adding another bet. Lo esrog, the lo beitzim, the lo basar shamein, fatty meat. The lo yayin yashan. Yesha I means some say Aflo Yayin Lavan, even white wine is included. Because that brings a person to impurity, which here means seminal omission. Um, again, it's interesting because presumably that was the concern about all of those. Why it just says it here by the wine, I don't know. Again, by the way, I should mention, if it's not obvious, that the reason this was a concern only on Arab Yom Kippur is because if it was any previous day, this is a one day tumor. You can go to the mikvah and still be ready for Yom Kippur. But if it was on Arab Yom Kippur, then you're stuck. Correct. So the whole week before, that was an earlier Gemara. He was separated from his wife. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Uh, it's a good question. <laughs> Being doubly, uh, yeah, it's a good point. They wouldn't let him sleep. So how would this happen? Yeah. Well, we're about to get to that next line right here. Tanu Rabbanan. So now we talk because this is exactly this issue of what things might cause various types of penile emissions is a concern that the mission that we have when we're dealing with somebody being a balkari or a zav, a man. So zav tolin lo b'ma'achal, v'chol minei ma'achal. So here's the halacha. If a man has a seminal emission, it doesn't matter what led to it, whether he was having sexual thoughts, whether it was just something that happened at night that he can't, have, you know, you can't pin some causation to, whether it's some of these foods that the Gemara says has this effect, it doesn't matter. If you have a seminal emission, you're a balkari, you're tamay. But a zav, which is a type of a penile emission which is not semen, someone to sort of identify it with gonorrhea, some type of a flow that is not semen, the Gemaras has an understanding that a zav cannot be machmas onus, cannot be due to some external cause. Okay, so an external cause is identified, for example, as if he had sexual thoughts and then he had this flow, not a seminal flow, but he had this flow, that does, then he's not a zav. Or if he ate certain foods, that bring about that can bring about these types of things. He's not a zav that is seen as an external cause. What's interesting is again this assumption that the, although it's is very clear that as opposed to a woman, the difference between nida and zava, it's all blood. The difference is the time of the month. For a man, the difference is the nature of the flow, whether it's semen or something else. So although it's very clear in the Gemara that we're, that we're not dealing with semen, what the Gemara assumes that similar things that cause a seminal emission can cause this. 
sexual thoughts, certain foods, and so on. Okay, even though we're not talking here about semen. So it says the following, if you can, you can hang it, meaning you can attribute it to food, all types of food, which means that if, uh, that if he ate a lot, then you can assume that it's all because of the food, regardless of the actual food that he ate. So again, we have the same idea of acronyms and the phrase So when you are checking him to make sure, you know, to sort of, because he also, um, like the same way a woman who becomes a Zava has to have clean days, seven days that she's not bleeding, a man who became a Zav has to have days that he's no longer having the flow. So he says, when you are checking him and trying to make sure that he's not having the flow for seven days, you don't want to be feeding him types of foods that are going to bring to other type, you know, continual emission. So what are these things? Lo chagavi, lo chalav, milk, lo gvina, and cheese, so dairy products, below beitza, below yayin, so egg and wine. So again, assuming there's some relation between these, you know, this idea of concern of leading to ziva and the other concern about leading to zera, shechva zera, there's the overlap of the eggs and the wine with the new addition of dairy products. Below gabam, may greasing shopul, some type of a, of a, of a, of a soup of, of, of pounded uh, beans, Ubasar shamein, so fatty meat we mentioned before. Umarius, which is a type of a fish hash. Okay, so more foods than were mentioned before. But here again, the concern is not just seminal emission, it's other types of flow as well. Things that bring to impurity, what does that include? So, now here we're clearly talking about about shechvat zera. We're no longer talking about this flow, this the flow. We're talking about seminal emission because that is the concern, you know, of the... When you're not in the Sechet Zavim, the concern of the Gemara about being a Balkari is not just ritually being Tamei, but that the Gemara did not like the idea of, you know, of seminal emission outside of the context of marital sex. So five things bring to Tum'ah, meaning can lead to seminal emission. What are they? The Eluheim, Hashum, of garlic, Vashchalim, which Shalim, I looked this up, I don't know what it is. Rashi says Kressin, I assume means Kress, okay? The Chal Glogot, which I have no idea what that is. What the people have in English? Horselain. Yeah, that's the word I saw also when I looked it up. Now it makes total sense. What? The Habetin, you have another word? Eggs. Gargir, and Gargir, which is something that was a garden rocket. Um, at least is one translation I have. What do you think, say there, Joe? What? Um, rocket. rocket, garden rocket. Rugula. Oh, arugula. Gargier, arugula. That's interesting. Okay, the, uh, so now we're going to talk about arugula or gargier for a minute. Okay. The Yatsa said that person went out to the field to locate orot, to gather orot. So what's orot? So Tanim Shmid Rebbe Meya Zegargir. This is this arugula or garden rocket. I'm Rebbe Yochanan. Lamanikra Shman orot. Why are they called orot? because it's good for the eyesight okay so you should eat this it'll be good for your eyes it'll, uh, it'll bring light to your eyes Amarafuna Hamotse Gargir if you find the arugula like growing wild in the field if you're able to eat it maybe I don't know because it's, like, it's a little bitter right arugula is that like reddish type of a lettuce no it's red but it's bitter bitter what does it look like it looks like it's, it's like like parsley okay alright so if you're able to eat it meaning it's you know, it's, you, you know you're able to tolerate it then eat it and it'll be good for you health wise in love and it's not since it's good for eyesight so just you know rub it ac- across your eyes and that'll help your eyesight even without eating it so Amar Papa the Gargira makes Rana'a this is only by the Gargira that grows on the um, you know at the edge of the field somehow that doesn't get the, uh, the um, you know it, it, it doesn't get anything from any other plants and therefore it's more in its pure form that's the way Rashi explains it Amar of Gidol Amarav uh, now that we're talking about things that lead to seminal emission, back to that. So we'll talk about a practical application of that. Achsenai, besides just, you know, men shouldn't be eating it because we don't, because the Gemara doesn't want to have seminal emissions. So now we're talking about r- related issues. Amarav Gidol Amarav, Achsenai, if you're a guest at somebody's house, lo yochal don't eat eggs, because we already spoke about the fact that eggs bring on seminal emission. 
Um, why? Because don't eat baits, and presumably maybe that was not the greatest concern, but don't, bring a, don't, don't eat things that are going to lead to you having a seminal emission at night because you're sleeping on somebody else's bed and somebody else's sheets, and they'll see it in the morning, and that'll be something that'll be embarrassing for you. So, don't, so be careful about that when you're in somebody else's bed. Um, and you know they didn't. It wasn't like they necessarily always go to the closet and have a dozen extra, you know, a blanket. So if you're over at somebody's house, you'll say, "Here, use my coat as a blanket, my talit, and my cloak as a as a blanket." Don't do that because if you use his cloak as a blanket and you have seminal emission on it, again, it'll be very obvious. Okay, so that would not be wise. Um, um, Rashi says. Rashi says. It sounds like Rashi. The concern might be the opposite that maybe the seminal mission is on his quote from him, you know, and then it would not be, it would not be, it would be embarrassing to him that you would sort of have his uh, cloak and see what's on the inside of his cloak if he ever had a seminal mission while wearing his cloak. Okay? Um, so, um, where are we? Um, Rav, now Rav, um, where are we? Da, 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 da. Fine. Um, okay. Rav, ki darshish, Machri, so now we have all this concern about being a guest and not being at home and, you know, and seminal emissions. So now we'll see how this story connects. Rob, when he, when he dropped by in Tarshish, presumably some of these rabbis went on tours of the countryside or tours of, you know, of, uh, of the land, teaching Torah, answering Shilohs, whatever they did. So it's that's a fascinating thing in itself, the fact of the rabbis who would travel. You know, we know they would travel to Eretz Yisrael, but the fact that they would generally travel, for what purposes, you know, that's an interesting area of discussion. So when Rob came to Tarshish, Machlis, he would make the following announcement. Man Yoma, who would like to be with me for today? Meaning, what woman would like to be my wife of the day? Okay, so this is dealing with the fact about men away from home and dealing with their sexual desire. So before we spoke about sleeping at a, being a guest in somebody's house and a concern of seminal mission, so here we're talking about also being away from home and dealing with his sexual desire. And his solution, his, well, his point is, he, you might call it that, but his point was he wasn't going to go to a prostitute. He was looking for somebody that would marry him and be his wife of the day. Oh, so that's a good point. Um, I mean, the you're right. That's yeah. Well, the, the, I'm 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 reading it in terms of the next discussion in the Gemara. That's the lens through which the Gemara reads it. I, it's an interesting question whether it's possible to have read that even not in the context of marriage. But that's not the way the Gemara reads it, as we'll see in a minute. Rav Nachman would do the same when he would go to this place, Shich Natsiv. So one minute, but we say that a man is not supposed to be married to one man in one country and another one man, one woman in one country and another woman in another country, because and because then the kids of the two wives will not know that they're half siblings and will wind up marrying one another and the, and the and then they'll be transgressing in the offspring of that of that uh, incest will be Mamzei Ruth. Okay? So if you're in the same, you know, you, the, the wives are all living together with you in the same house, everybody knows who their, you know, who their father is. But the fact that you, in one country, these kids who the father only drops in, you know, once a, one month out of the year, and they know that their father's name is Sam, and in another country, they know their father's name is Sam, it doesn't mean that they're going to know that they have the same father. So you shouldn't do this. So how could Rob go ahead and do this? So the Gemara says, or, and, and Rav Nachman, that's the Gemara's only concern. So, the land will be filled with fornication. Okay, so how can you have, be married to different women in different countries? They won't, you know, the kids won't know who the father is, or they won't know they have to say, share a father. So, so Amri, so that you can say, Rabbanan Kali Islihu, the rabbis have a reputation. <laughs> Who knows what type of reputation they're getting with it? But they, their name is well known, and therefore, um, and therefore, everybody knows. It's not just your father happens to be Sam. Your father is Rav. Your father is Shmuel. So with them, then you'll they'll know that when they meet somebody else and they're talking about getting married and they talk about who their father is, they'll realize they have the same father. So we're not concerned about that. Um, so the Gemara says, By the way, I have to say, what's interesting is, it says whenever Rav would vi- vi- visit this place, whenever Rav Nachman would visit this place, they would make the announcement. 
If they just did it the first time, then why don't they just have a wife ready for them in that place? Right? It sounds like every time they visited this place, they made the announcement. What happened to the woman? What happened to the woman you married last time you were in? So maybe that it supports Rivka's read that it's not a wife. The Gemara's interpreting it as a wife, but it's an interesting point the way Rivka's suggesting that it's not in the context of marriage. So, uh, what? So he would marry her and divorce her the next day. Right. Right. Uh, right. Afterwards. Right. So that's a good point. Yeah, and you don't want that woman bound to him till he visits three years from now. It's the rabbi's way of having one night stand. Exactly. So the Gemara says, but right, that's a good point. That's Rashi does mention that he would divorce her afterwards, which I assume you have a that explains why it means every time he would visit, but presumably also that would be the humane thing to do, yeah, right? Yellow, I mean, Just for whatever, today. Go for a day and then fly out on the red eye. Right. Somewhere, <laughs> stay for a few days. Right. So that's true. That's true. Um, but again, but the point of Rashi saying divorce her, not only it solved the issue why he would have to do it every time, but it expo- you know, he wouldn't want this woman to be bound to him between the trips, so, which presumably would not be so common. All right, so now the Gemara has another question. Rama, Rava, one minute. So didn't Rava say, Tabua um, Now that's Rava, this is Rav, but the Gemara assumes that it's all hold, everybody holds by everyone else here. So didn't Rava say, Tabua say if a man sort of made a demand from his bride to actually have the nuptials, the marriage itself. Meaning what happened would be, they would do the kiddush and he'd give her the ring. I mean, they didn't have a ring in the time of the Gemara. He'd give her whatever he'd give her. She would halachically be his wife. They'd be bound. He, she'd be bound. But they wouldn't start living together until the chuppah. And normally there would be about a year for, before the chuppah for her to prepare her trousseau, you know, and get ready and for, and so, or maybe even multiple years. Like when they would get married off, you know, you get married at a very young age but not actually start living together until the girl becomes, you know, at least a few years older. So what happens if, here they are, there's Kiddushin, there's not Nisuin, and he comes to her and says, that's it, I'm tired of waiting, let's have our chuppah, you know, next week. Um, so the halacha is, is that once he made this demand to get married, he all of a sudden becomes desirous and starts thinking about the fact that they'll be together and be having sex. And the Gemara says, if he agrees, when he says he agrees, so if, if there's a suddenness to it, and then he agrees, so because of that suddenness and that shock value, she has to wait seven days, meaning seven clean days without blood, because we're afraid that the excitement and the suddenness led to her to spot. And therefore, even if you don't see any blood, and therefore she became a nida, and therefore she needs seven clean days. This is called Dam Chimud. Now, this is a fascinating topic in itself. First of all, some have suggested that this was the rabbi's um, what's it called, transferring, you know, their male experience to the women. So the same way we were talking before about men getting sexually excited and having seminal mission, right? Sigmar says, oh, maybe the woman, when she gets sexually excited, has some spotting. Okay, so transferring that sort of reality to the women, it might be what this assumption that there's this tamchim with this blood that comes out. This also is why, I don't know if people are aware, the whole practice about making sure you don't go to the mikvah, akala, more than four days before the wedding. There's, I don't know if people wear this halacha, and without getting into the details, some of it has to do with the fact that you want to make sure, like, you know, that you're tahor and you're checking yourself, whatever, till right up till the wedding, because the oncoming event of the wedding leads to this concern about tamchimut. Now, there are some Rishonim that basically say, that a woman has to be checking herself every single day after having gone to the mikvah until the wedding because we're concerned that as the wedding is getting closer it's increasing the, the, the sexual desire. Um, but there's a whole other group of Rishonim which is primarily the way we rule that emphasizes the suddenness of this idea. Tavua linase. He sprang it on her. It was sudden. And it's the shock and the suddenness that leads to that concern. But once you're building up to the wedding and you know it's coming and you sent out the invitations that is not that concern. So this is a principle called Dam Chimud, a rabbinic idea. So it says, if this is true, how could they get married? You know, when he says, let's, let's get married today, or Rivka here would work even without marriage, let's have sex today. If that, if that suddenness leads to a concern of spotting, then how could they have sex on the same day? Okay? So the Gemara says, um, so, Rabbanan, Adui have a modi lehu, have a modi 
So, so the rabbis would inform them ahead of time, and they would go ahead and send a messenger. So that changes the whole story. It wouldn't Rob would, would, would arrive at the airport and make an announcement, but he would send somebody like a little Eliezer mission, or better than Eliezer, the better example is Yehuda and Eyuah um, Udulami. Um, well, that was actually to, 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 make, to seal the deal after the fact. But anyway, I mean, to pay up anyway, but he would send somebody ahead of time to scout out and to find the woman for him. So that woman would have time before he arrived to go to the mikvah and count the seven days and so on. That's the Gemara's answer. So no longer is he making the announcement. He's sending somebody ahead to prepare to find the woman and to prepare it. So the Ebay same, and if you want another answer is, Yehude havim yachti lehu. They would, they would have yichud with them. What does that mean? I'll, let me read it and then I'll explain. It's not different somebody who has bread in his basket, somebody who doesn't have bread in his basket. Which basically, Rashi says what it means is, they wouldn't have sex. So Rashi says by the end, the Gemara is really cleaning it up. Rivka said they cleaned it up by turning this, this issue of today into an idea of marriage. But according to the end now, they're really cleaning it up because saying, oh, they actually would never actually have sex. They would just sort of say, you'll be my wife, and I know I'm able to have sex with you if I want to, and therefore, because I know it's available to me, I'm not going to bother to do it, because it's pasta salo. I know it's available, so I don't have that sense of desire isn't as powerful once it's actually available. Now, Tosos doesn't like this answer, because, I mean, because Tosos says... Right in your basket, you eat it. Well, that's true, but also, what do you mean, what do you mean available? If you can't be having sex because you're afraid that she's a nida because of this Samchimud, so it's not available during this week that you're here. <coughs> so what's going on here? So he gives another answer. What? Yeah. The whole idea of Pasta Solid comes from the bread that they would prepare for the for the calling into the Sigurdondo, right? The bread, they would. What do you mean, the bread? The, those were the clapim? No, no. When, when the guy, isn't this the guy who took the seal of Dazel? Yeah. Oh, he'd have bread. Oh, right, right, right. You're right, yeah. Yeah, there'd be food available for him to eat, yeah. and once there's food available for him to eat, he's yeah. not, he doesn't but feel as urgent. It's the same thing. He could eat it. He could have eat it. <laughs> but you feel that it's available. That actually, there's an interesting question. Some actually say he could eat it. We'll discuss that when we get to that, but that's an interesting point. Anyway, it's a very strange conclusion in this Gemara. Um, you know, Rafi says the aim is cocking the hen okay you know so so you could have sex but they actually wouldn't um the re tries to clean it up even more and the re actually says that, that when they came they didn't make the announcement who wants to have marry me and have sex with me they just said who wants to be able to be have yichud with me be with me for the day and because they didn't say that we're going to have sex they only said, we're going to have yichud, we'll be able to be together, share a bedroom, so there wouldn't be a dam chimud, because then you would, he, he wouldn't mention sex. And then if in the middle of the night it turned out that it evolved into sex, at least then it wouldn't be this dam chimud, where you make this announcement, I'm looking, you know, that, that I'm interested in finding a woman who wants to, be able, who wants to have sex. So, anyway, the fascinating answers here at the end, um, I think Rishka makes a good point about that. It's the Gemara's interpretation that this was about marriage. Um, and it is also interesting, the parallel about, you know, the whole concern about seminal omission and then talking about how these rabbis try to sort of deal with it in a, in a sort of somewhat kosher way. Um, and uh, I do think also the mention about the bleeding when a woman is sexually excited, that concern might create an interesting sort of parallel to the concern of men's sexual excitement and them having seminal Omission. Let's finish by reading the, the Mishnah. So now it tra- he transferred from the Basin, those that represented Torah authority or those that represented Klai Israel, and they gave him over to the Kohanim, to the, uh, say, the, the elders of the Kohanim, so the Kohen authority. They brought him to Beis Avtinos, which is where they made the Ketoreth. Okay, because now they're going to have to teach them how to do the Ketoreth, which was a very difficult avoda. And also, as you might be aware, the Ketoreth, there was a big debate. The Sadducees, right, were um, said that you put the Ketoreth on the fire at, before you walk into the Kodesh Kedashim. And the, and the rabbis, the Purushim said, you go into the Kodesh Kedashim and then you put it on the fire. And they were very concerned because there was a lot of Sadducees, a lot of Kohanim were Sadducees, presumably like mo- probably most of the Kohanim, and therefore uh, there was a big concern how the Kohen Gadol would act on Yom Kippur. So it says like this. So they brought him to this place where they did the Ketoreth, the Ishbi'u, and they made him take an oath. 
and the oath is we're going to see in a minute and then the, they left the Ziknei Basin left after they made him take an oath the Amrulo and they said to him Ishi Kohen Gadol Mr. Kohen Gadol okay Anu Shluchei Basin we represent Basin and you are our representative and the representative of Basin again interesting Basin presumably that means Klal Yisrael Okay, we 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 impose upon you an oath to, in the name of the one whose 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 name dwells in this house. The Maharsha says that this is an echo of the pasuk about um, about um, which is the pasuk by uh, by, by Yom Kippur that we cleanse the Oromoed, you know, and the God who is shocheni imam betoch tumatam. Maybe, although I don't see that in the Mishnah. Okay, that you won't change anything from everything we taught you. We've been teaching you how to do the avoda and how to do the ketores. We make you take an oath that you will do exactly as you said and not do the ketores in the Sadducee way. Who He would go off and cry that he was suspected, and they would go off and cry that they were forced to suspect him. If he was wa- now now here how he has to stay up the whole night. If he was wise, he would give a shear. In love, and if he's not smart enough to give a shear, but smart enough to understand a shear, you have sages. Again, notice, of course, it's all the rabbinic presence. Sages giving him a, a shear. Now, let's say having a shear in Gemara is beyond him. Um, okay, obviously it means not Gemara here, but whatever, halacha. So then, read, read, you know, read something from Tanakh. So if, he's, if he is familiar with reading, correct, find a safer of Tanakh to read and keep you interested. Vimlav, if he's not so good and fluent in Hebrew, Korim Lefanav, you get uh, you get people to read read him. So we're going down levels. The ability to do it yourself, the ability to understand from a sort of you know rabbinic type of learning to reading the psukim. Ubemer Korim Lefanav, what would they read for him? Now we're dealing clearly with the most ignorant that they couldn't even read Tanakh themselves. What would they read him? Beiov ubeEzra ubeDivei Hayamim. Eov and Ezra and Divrei Yomim. So Divrei Yomim, you're saying, what? That is so boring. But you're asleep. But, you know, it would have, it depends which sections of it. Ezra would be in Aramaic. And that's, and that, you know, because Aramaic was the uh, vernacular. So that, and Ezra's an interesting story. And it's relevant to the Beis HaMikdash. And it's, you know, it's all, of, it's all a good narrative, Ezra. Um, you know, Eov is maybe for those that are more philosophically minded. Zechariah ben Katavel, Daniel, which is also really good stories in Daniel, so these would keep them engaged. I want to just end by saying, who made him take the oath about the Torah? The mission is ambiguous, right? It says, when it says, the Amrulo, is it the Zikne based in before they left, this is what they said to him? Or did it say the Zikne based in left, and now the, and now the, Zikne, and now the elders of the Kohanim t- made him take the Shvua? And there's a debate in the Rishonim. The Rambam actually says that it's the Zikne based in that made him take the Shvua, not the Zikne Kahuna, which in a way makes sense because you're still having that rabbinic presence ensuring and supervising the Kohanim and making sure that you do the Avoda the way the Prushim say and not the way the Tzadukim say. As opposed to saying the rabbis left and then it was left to the Zikne Kohanim to make him take an oath, that creates a slightly different type of a framing of exactly what happened. Okay, and that was-